Good morning, first of all, and thank you for all of you to come in this raining morning, and also there was a lot of obstacles to getting here, right, with the, the road construction replacing the pipe, and so I really appreciate you taking the time, making the effort to be here this morning. Um, so you all have a piece of paper with you, right? Okay, so we're not going to make paper airplanes at the end of the talk, okay? So this is, just hang on to that. You could fold it in half or now, just hang on to that. So a few years ago, I attended a a Christian conference, you may have known this one, this famous one, Urbana Christian Conference. And above the registration desk, there was a banner quoting Mother Teresa. And the quote says, I am a little pencil in the hands of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. The quote stuck in my head, and I often ask myself, how am I letting the writing hand of God use me? And how am I getting threaded into God's love story for all people and to share his good news, the gospel, to those who don't know Jesus? So today I wanted to kind of tell you about my journey to God and a journey from a life not knowing God, ignorant of who Jesus is, and really just skeptical about religious in general, and um, to a point where I become a Jesus follower. So it's a journey, and it's in the hands of his writing God, and I'm his instrument. That's why I have the title, my the title of my talk is From East to West, From Skeptic to Believer, A Life, A World View Transformed by the Power of the Gospel. So that's what we're going to talk about, the power of the gospel today. So I have come to see my life as a testimony of the work of the Holy Spirit in me, and transform. the transformation continues to happen every day. So God is not done with me yet, right? And um, I'm still very much a work in progress. So welcome to God's construction zone. <laughs> and I just have a reminder here. We're in the construct, construction zone this morning, so we're going to do some work. And so... Basically, I'm going to share with you the messiness of my past and the joy of my journey with God. And praise God that he never let me go. And God's persistent love and amazing grace for me, for all of us, really, give me the bragging right to talk about him. That's why I'm standing here, to brag about God, our God. So i like to share... Um, Three things I want to share this morning. Um, first, being brought up with a different worldview. Second, tearing down the idols of the East, the West, and the skeptic. And third, coming to know God's heart and responding to his love. Being immersed in a different worldview is a suitable way to describe my um, experience growing up. What's, what's worldview, you might ask? Everyone has a worldview, but you may not know to call it a worldview. A worldview, simply put, defines your beliefs about reality and your outlook on life. Charles Carlson said that a worldview is the sum total of your belief about the world. The sum total about your belief of the world. So up till age 14, my worldview was shaped by growing up in Asian culture in Taiwan. A Chinese proverb says, if you want to know what water is, don't ask fish. 
Water is the sum and substance of the world in which the fish immerse. Right? The fish may not reflect on its own environment until suddenly it's it's、uh, thrust into dry land, and and where it struggles for life. So, the fish will realize that water provides its sustenance. So, in my situation, I was that fish at age fourteen, being thrust onto a, a whole new environment, being coming to United States. Through the the normal immigration process, I came from Taiwan, which is a, Taiwan is a, a nation island, an island nation of 22 million people,、um, off the southeastern coast of China. And my parents' decision to、um, gradually immigrate the family to the United States—it's a story of its own that I don't have time to get into, so I'm going to skip that. <laughs> But I will say that.、Um, Their decision at the time reflected a really strong sentiment of、um, the Taiwanese people at the time, that they felt disenfranchised and oppressed by the government of Taiwan. And so the trend of this immigration, people leaving Taiwan to come to the United States, started happening in the 1950s. And many of my relatives during that time actually came to the states, and so they settled in California, Texas, Ohio, New York. And I came with my older sister and my mother, and three of us came to Cleveland, Ohio, to、uh, essentially my sister and I were dropped off by her to live with my older, my mother's older brother, my uncle's family in the 70s. And she、uh, stayed for a little while and then returned to Taiwan、um, to be with the rest of my family, my father, my two brothers, and, and the younger sister still in Taiwan. So the plan was actually to continue the immigration process. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way, due to my mother's sudden death. So my safe and comfortable life as a new immigrant with my uncle's family was disrupted and impacted、um, so unexpectedly with her passing. I did travel back to Taiwan to attend her funeral, but afterwards, my father decided that he sent me back to the U.S. to continue to live in the U.S. with my relatives. So. It was、um, really like a fish out of water, not knowing, you know, what sustained me until really everything just got changed.、Um, so I know that life was challenging. It was really challenging for a teenager to cope with the death of a, of a parent, and also to adjust to new life to, in a new country and live with relatives without your own family.、It、really was like a fish out of the water. But I did not know what a worldview was then. But I knew that I was different, just different from everyone else around me, living in the suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. And I held on to the value systems that my parents passed on to me, which were really strong work ethics, meaning you know, as a student, you study hard, you just work hard, and be frugal with the resources that's given to you, and respect elders, and just honor your family, your ancestors, with your achievements and successes. And these cultural values have their roots in ancient Chinese philosophy and、uh, belief systems, coming from Confucianism, Buddhism, Taoism. But my family were not really, in any ways, re- very religious people. But they were culturally immersed in the syncretistic practice of the the the, the、uh, culture, right? Heavily influenced in the Taiwanese society. So the amalgamation of these values, which I inherited, became my smorgasbord of personal worldview. 
And it's a very different worldview when you compare to a person in the Judeo-Christian environment, a person who raised in America, and even a person you know, back in the 70s, post-Vietnam War, post-Watergate, in the American society in the 70s, you know, whether you're a Judeo-Christian family or just the American society, my work, personal worldview was quite different from everybody else's around me. As I continue my life in the U.S. throughout the 80s, the 90s, and then into the millennium, I became blended, just blended like everyone else, and was confronted with all kinds of isms along the way, right? Individualism, um, relativism, humanism, um, capitalism, you know, we're going through this globalization of our economy. Gradually, my worldview changed. It became another smorgasbord, blending value systems from the East, the West, and the postmodernism of America, including the rebellious 60s and the New Age movement of the 70s, and then, you know, the Wall Street greed is good 80s, and then the multiculturalism of the 90s. But I distrusted Christians because there were so many infamous fallen TV evangelists, and I don't need to tell you the names, there were so many of them in the 80s, in the 70s and the 80s, and that stained the, the, the reputation of the Christian community. I distrust the Christians then. I have moved to um, Long Island, New York to pursue a college degree and also graduate degree. And as I reflect on those years in my life, even though I didn't know Jesus then, but you know, I had a, this concept of God. And though the concept of God in, in my mind is real, but it's also very distant. However, God blessed me even with good friends who became my family, and good jobs, good health, and a good boyfriend, Dan Murphy, who became my husband. Not knowing God, but God still blessed me with all of this. Dan and I were married in the 1990s in Long Island, New York, where we both lived and worked at the time, and then we moved to Massachusetts in 1998 due to the job relocation. So in 2001, while I was in the midst of pursuing another degree in Northeastern University, the epic attack of 9-11 happened in American soil, and that changed the world. In the few years that followed, I also experienced a personal 9-11, so to speak, caused by a prolonged economic downturn that started as a dot-com bust and um, was worsened by the 9-11 tragedy. So the industry um, of my profession, the high-tech computer systems and data center solutions, experienced a really decline at, at that time. And there was just really a, a, a really um, tough time. That industry shrunk, and there were a lot of business were shut down and a lot of consolidation that was going on. So it impacted me personally in the way that I went from you know, having a job, got laid off, and then seeking a job, landing a job, and then laid off, seeking a job, landing a job, laid off. And there was this round of cyclical things. By the time it was the third round, I was mentally, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. 
And I felt dejected, gloomy, and almost to a point where I was inconsolable and just really thinking life was without hope. So my experience, my good ethics, my qualification, my education, none of that prepared me to face these repeated challenges. So my worldview was being challenged. So my worldview was falling apart because where I placed my value was tied to my work, career, earning power, and my belief about reality and the outlook of life you know, was being challenged because that's, that's how I equate to my identity, right? So listen, there's nothing wrong to work hard, to uh, make an earnest living and have good, strong work ethic and pursuing good education to improve yourself so that you make the world better around you. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's when these become idols, like when I was unaware of and diligently worshiping these values as my identity, that is a problem. So combined with my blend of the Asian worldview, and I had played you know, the pursuit of higher education, knowledge, skill, experiences, and the achievements as a way of becoming you know, Americanized to obtain, achieve that American dream. Um, in doing so, more importantly, I also was honoring my ancestor, honoring my family. And it's not just for me, it's for my father, it's for my family. So this, this blend worldview, the honor and shame-based value system combined with the um, American dream idols, these were, they were all good, however, when they become idols of your life, that's a real problem. So on the surface, I may have seemed to have it all and have a life altogether, but on the unseen level, the deep current of life was just engulfing me, that I had to rethink a, game, a new game plan, a new game plan of life. So when life gets tough, in these tough times, you get philosophical, right? Questions I have asked myself many times since the death of my mother, you know, I ask again. Questions like, why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? And what has gone wrong with this world? And how, what solution can be offered to fix it? So I was searching for answers again. So I decided to use a decision-making tool called Pascal's Wager. I don't know if you ever heard of this tool called Pascal's Wager. Well, it's a 16th, 17th century philosopher, and he came up with this tool for, to help people making decisions, especially about the existence of God. So it goes like this. It's a game like heads or tails being played about whether God exists or does not exist. The key action here is that you have to wager. You must wager and place your bet on whether God exists or God does not exist. So you see the table here that I'm showing? So let us weigh the gain and loss in wagering that God exists by looking at the possible outcome. So what you see in the table here, you wager that God exists and looking at the possible outcome. If you win, you gain everything. If you lose, you lose nothing. So that's in a nutshell, Pascal's wager. So in other words, you have nothing to lose by wagering that God exists, that there is a God. And you have everything to gain in an infinitely happy life and, and eternity with God. 
So I thought maybe it was time for me to really just put this to practice. And um, so I decided to go check out a women's small group Bible study with a church in Chelmsford. So how did that come about? You see, God, by God's grace, he had been at work before I even knew it. When my husband and I first moved to Massachusetts, God directed our path to encounter this lady, a Taiwanese lady, at a cultural event here in Andover. And she subsequently introduced us to other people around this area. And so we were just happy to make new friends. But we didn't know they were Christians. <laughs> and they invited us to their home gatherings. And so we went, and it turned out to be Bible study. And <laughs> then they invited us to go check out their church in Chelmsford. So we said, okay, we'll go. So we did frequently visit that church in the English congregation. And, you know, through them, I was informed of this woman Bible study at a different church. And these are all English-speaking um, Americans. So I was given an open invitation to just go anytime when you're ready, you could join this woman's small group. So the time had come that with my skeptical mind, I was willing to just put Pascal's wager bet to, to practice. So I went and checked them out. When just, just went by myself. The ladies welcomed me, and they happened to be studying the Gospel of John. This was another divine appointment. So for the first time in my life, I met Jesus through God's word. But I could not accept Jesus. I couldn't accept him immediately. The roots of my worldview ran deep in my soul. So let me kind of step aside, borrowing um, a teaching from a famous Christian apologist, um, Ravi Zacharias. You all know who Ravi Zacharias is. So Ravi Zacharias suggests that you should put your worldview, whatever that is, whatever your worldview is, put that to a test. See if it can stand on its own. So he says that a worldview must be logically consistent. Its teaching must be self, must be self, cannot be self-contradictory and empirically adequate. Its teaching must match what we see in reality. And it has uh, existentially relevant that its teaching must speak directly to how we actually live our life, right? So this, this is the worldview, must be these three logical things. And he also suggests that a, a, a comprehensive worldview must also address the four questions okay, that you see on the slide here on your right. Origin. Where do the universe and human being come from? Meaning, what's the meaning of purpose in life? Morality. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? And destiny. What happens to us after we die? So this is the framework that Ravi Zacharias, that you put your worldview to test and see if it stands on its own. I didn't realize it at the time. But I was asking these questions about my personal worldview, and it was coming up short, particularly in the area of meaning and purpose in life. So as I followed the ladies in the small group going through the Gospel of John, the truth revealed to me, and it's through the God's word, through God's word, just doing Bible study. The study brought me to many different books in the Bible, using inductive Bible study method, learning God's pursuit of reconciliation with people, a redemptive story since the fall in the garden shortly after the creation. 
learning the concept of a triune God, a relational God living in harmonious community and each person with a different distinct role in helping us to return to God, to live in union with him. All of this was mind-boggling for me. And, you know, it was such a huge contrast to my Asian roots of Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism, right? And those teachings tell you it is through your own work and effort that you earn a better life through reincarnation. And it's just mind-boggling. I don't know if you can... Just kind of imagine that, what the war that was going on in my head and in my heart and my soul. So in the midst of doing this gospel study, I also attended a sermon given by an interim pastor in a different church, which I believe is another divine appointment. The message he gave that day was about salvation and sanctification. These were two big Christian words that, uh, you know, I didn't, fully grasped the concept and the meaning at the time. So after the sermon, I had asked him if he would take an appointment to see me, and you know, even though I wasn't attending his, his church. Um, but he agreed graciously, and he had asked another person to be in the meeting so that we could just have a discussion. And they talked about the gift from God, his forgiveness of our sins through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in our place, and Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He used the word, the Lamb of God. And he takes, he takes the sin from all humanity onto himself. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross essentially is God's way of restoring us to have a new life. And we accept Jesus into our life. We're reconciled by, by God through the blood Jesus shed. God sees us through Jesus' righteousness and that is God's grace in sending Jesus to die for us, to redeem us, to bring us back to worship God. Wow. I listened with all my concentration, with all my heart, and I was at a brink of breaking down, and it was consistent with the story that I learned from the Bible study, Gospel of John. At the time, I think the pastor sensed that there was a moment, that maybe this is the really ripe moment. So he did ask me if I would accept Jesus into my life. So at that moment, I was so confused and so emotional and still just did not respond with a yes. I uttered a word. I would think about it. He prayed for me and sent me away with some reading materials and some pamphlet that compares world religions. So in my mind, the phrase that stuck in me, in my mind, was this phrase, Lamb of God. Why is Jesus called Lamb of God? And how is it related to sin and righteousness? What does sin and what does righteousness mean anyways? Big question. So in the days that follow, I knew many people were praying for me, including my husband, Dan. They were praying that the Holy Spirit would continue to speak to my heart to close the chasm. But one Sunday, I decided to visit the Chinese church again. And that day, I just heard a brief talk made by one of the church members who was a microbiologist. He was a professor at UMass Lowell. I didn't remember much of his talk, but the one key point he made was about righteousness. 
And he suggested to the Chinese audience who could read Chinese characters, he said, you may want to look up this word righteousness in Chinese character. And then he went on with his talk, which I didn't remember much. So that word righteousness stuck in my head. So let me take another step aside to kind of talk to you about Chinese characters here. Okay, you're gonna learn some Chinese today, okay? <laughs> so Chinese words are pictograms. They represent sort of, you know, in an artwork style of the physical object. So what you see here is that the word fire is pronounced huo, looks like fire, if you can see the resemblance of the forest fire. And then the middle picture here is mountain, it's pronounced shan, it looks like the outline of mountain range. And then the, <clears throat> the next character here is water, pronounced shui, it looks like the stream waterfall in, in the forest. Right? So Chinese character is pictograms. And sometimes the more complex character are made up of two simple characters to become one character. So this is Chinese character. So I could not resist the suggestion from this professor to look up <clears throat> the translation of righteousness to a Chinese character. So when I looked it up, the translation of this word Righteousness. For the first time, looking at this familiar character, which I learned and knew since grade school in Taiwan, I saw the picture of lamb over me. Righteousness. So what you see on your left is the word lamb pronounced yang, and the character me pronounced wo, and the composite character righteousness pronounced yi. It's righteousness. Lamb over me. I thought, do you know what that means? <laughs> Does that mean the etymology of this character has the story of the gospel embedded in the Chinese history? <laughs> the sacrificing lamb Jesus, his bloodshed for me gives me righteousness. I'm not an anthropologist or historian, etymologist, or even linguist, right? But I was awestruck with this discovery that potentially even the ancient Chinese could know about the, they could know about the gospel. Mm -hmm. The Lamb of God dying for his people and the redemptive story. The redemptive story for his global reconciliation to bring people back to worship. It is in that order. Redemption, righteousness, worship. Unless you're redeemed and righteous, you cannot worship God. So at that moment, Pascal's wager paid off. <laughs> My pride, skepticism, stubbornness, oh, bitterness, sadness, anger, fear, and exhaustion, all sorts of emotions gave way to God's love through Jesus. I accept Christ to be my savior, my Lord, and my God. I was baptized in 2004 in the, the Chalmsfer in the Chinese Bible Church and received a new life, living with a Christian worldview. Amen. Amen. So God's love motivates me. God's word sustained me. God's moral character is the compass of my life. Jesus' death and resurrection gives new meaning to life and eternal life through Jesus. Faith, 
love and hope rooted in Jesus give birth to a joyous Christian worldview of being loved by God through the lens of his amazing grace. Praise God for using my life circumstances to draw me closer to him. My husband and I continue this journey together with God by coming to Free Christian Church in 2011, where we felt God was directing us to bring us closer to our community in North Andover. <laughs> so, so the question now is that how shall I or shall we Christians responding to God's love in this broken world? The ultimate purpose of God and what is in God's heart is to bring about global worship of God and global, uh, the, the global worship back to God, right? John Piper, um, the theologian, says, mission exists because worship does not. Mission exists because worship does not. So when I served in Free Christians Mission Committee about three years ago, I read firsthand many reports and newsletters from our global mission partner. Their passion and love in serving God in their field of work is inspiring, really is inspiring. I think tomorrow you may meet one of the global partners here visiting in North Andover. The reality is that mission is everyday life, not just someplace far away for only the full-time missionaries. Okay? It's everyday life. I don't know about you, Pastor JP, Brian, they have been pouring their hearts out on sermon series, preaching on missional living, the gathered church and the scattered church, and whole life worship, right? It's so inspirational, it's so powerful, it's so motivating. So I know at the beginning of my talk, I, I mentioned about attending the Christian conference, Urbana. This is a conference that comes up every three years. So there's one in December. So I encourage those of you who have college students, children, or young adult professionals, and even if you have a missional heart, I really encourage you in December, maybe take a trip to St. Louis. That's where Urbana Conference is gonna take place. That event changed my life. I went to that conference, and subsequently I ended up taking a class, the perspectives class that we talked about earlier, and I ended up getting involved in a short-term mission trip to India, to the northwest, northwest region of India that the gospel is not heard. I went on a short-term mission trip that's called Church Planting Movement. I joined the local Indian Christians to go to villages to do gospel outreach. I, as a person who lived in a life transformed by the gospel, I feel the urgency to spread the good news to those who don't know Jesus. I don't pass judgments on other religion or people with different worldview as I once was, because God called us first to be faithful and obedient to his command, not pass judgments to others. So in my current work environment, the majority of my teammates members are from India. They are very well-educated software engineers. They are ambitious with career goals and personal achievements, and they are exceptionally, really hard workers. They are my mission field. The promise God made to Abraham, blessed to be a blessing, that applies to me too. 
the mo that motivates me really to put my faith into action, getting threaded into God's story. He is the writing hand, influencing my behavior for his purpose in his kingdom. My role is to be prayerful, learning his will, obey, obey his command, and supporting other co-laborers going to places where God sends me, and mobilizing others to be part of this global movement that started more than 2,000 years ago. We're all part of this epic love story, and we, we're, we play a role in achieving God's, in really advancing God's kingdom, and we start right here in our daily life, right here as mission field. So let me summarize my talk in this way to set us up for the exercise we want to do, because we're in a construction zone here. <laughs> and then maybe the worship team will come up with a closing song. So in my closing summary, I'm going to use a certain format, and I do that for a purpose, certain format in my sentences. I'm going to do that for a purpose, and you will see why. So here we go. There was a time in my life when I was blinded by my pride that I was critical of others and insensitive to the needs of others. I lived a life of performance, value-oriented, that I had imposed my own yardstick onto others without much consideration. Then one day I learned that no one can measure up to God's standard because we are sinners. I had lived a life apart from God. Owning through Jesus' death and resurrection, my sins are forgiven, and my relationship with God is restored by accepting Jesus into my, my life, that he is my savior. So now, as a Jesus follower, I tell myself every day the good news, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, and it reminds me that I am his he lives in me and guides me through life on earth, and I live to tell others about the gospel, how it changed my life. Do you have a story like that to share? That's my talk. Thank you. <laughs>